This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast that looks to delve into any aspect of our England team. Either previewing episodes for games, looking at tournaments coming up, reviewing with fellow England correspondents about recent games and I've been lucky enough to speak with various players who have worn the Three Lions over the years. And I love hearing England fan stories about particular games gone by. It's not just the men's side either. I've looked at our women's side too. And with the run-up to this summer's European Championships, we'll have another dedicated to the girls soon. Don't forget, the podcast can also be found on various social media channels. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube too. Just search Three Lions Podcast, you'll find it. And all the previous episodes can be found at your usual podcast provider or simply threelionspodcast.com. This is also a little milestone episode for the podcast. This is its 200th episode. (laughs) Yep, 200 Three Lions Podcasts. And it doesn't feel that long ago that I was doing the 100th. Now, it was back in June 2020. You may remember it was the Tedious Games episode. This one, though, far from tedious. This particular episode goes back to the 14th of December 1986, and it's when England played Bradford City. That's right, England against a club side. And it might actually surprise you If I was to tell you that over the years, England have played the likes of Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, Ipswich Town. Sure, most of them have been testimonial matches. And previously, though, we've looked at a time when England played Aylesbury. That can be found on episode 76. But first, let me take you back to the 11th of May 1985 on a third division match between Bradford City and Lincoln City at Bradford City's Valley Parade. And for those who may not be familiar with the layout of England, Bradford is a city in West Yorkshire. It's just west of Leeds. It's a city with a population of approximately half a million. And back in the late 18th and early 19th century, It was known for being a textile and woolen centre of the world. Now, it's perhaps more commonly known as being one of the curry capitals of Britain. But on a blustery day, a day of celebration, Captain Peter Jackson had before the game lifted the third division trophy as Bradford City had clinched the title a week before. This game against Lincoln was the final game of the season. 11,076 supporters had turned out for the joyous occasion. 
but Valley Parade was an old, ageing ground, one with a wooden roof in the main stand. And following that trophy lift, the game kicked off at four minutes past three. And with the clock on 3.44, five minutes before half-time, commentator John Helm observed that there was a fire in the main stand of the ground. Campbell trying to nudge the ball through from the call, well picked out by Shipley. And we've actually got a fire in the stand on the far side of the ground. And that looks very nasty indeed. Now the police have gone over there to try and quell uh, the fire and they're frantically getting some of the supporters out. Now these are extraordinary scenes at Valley Parade. It's supposed to be a day of celebration. One hopes the stand doesn't burn down. But a day of triumph could turn into a day of disaster here for Bradford. This fire was the result of a supporter's cigarette butt falling through the gaps in the wooden stands, beneath which was a build-up of litter. That litter caught a light, and within four minutes, the whole stand had been engulfed in flames. Fans spilled onto the pitch. Others tried to escape, but found their exit obstructed by locked turnstiles. Good evening. The city of Bradford is in mourning tonight for 52 people who are believed to have died in the fire which engulfed Valley Parade football ground yesterday afternoon. Another 24 people are still missing, so for another 24 families, it's a second night of desperate fear that their relatives' bodies may yet be found among the ashes. Well, most of the dead are thought to have been children and elderly people, and tonight police identified the first victim of the tragedy. He was 86-year-old Samuel Firth, a founder member and past chairman of the supporters' club. He died in hospital. 265 supporters would be injured, and 56 fans would die in the terrible tragedy, and they should never be forgotten. This was one of English football's darkest days. Following the fire, Bradford City would go on to play their home games at Oddsall Stadium, a rugby league ground in Bradford. They would also play at Leeds, Elland Road, and also Huddersfield Town's old ground, which went by the name of Leeds Road. This whilst their home ground, Valley Parade, was being redeveloped. Of course, more information on the Bradford Fire can be found online and also other podcasts where they explain much more and in finer detail. But this is where the main subject of this episode comes about. In the days after the fire, the Bradford Disaster Appeal was set up, which raised in the region of 2.6 million One of the fundraisers was a match played between England and West Germany and it was played at Leeds Elland Road in July of 1985 and it was a match that featured the same starting 11s as the final did back in 1966. Well this isn't Wembley Stadium, it is of course Elland Road Leeds and we're here for what should be a marvellous occasion. There is, of course, a sad thought here because the teams wouldn't be here but for the tragedy at the Bradford City ground in May. And the reason the match has been put on here today is to raise money for the Bradford disaster appeal. England would win this game 6-4. The renovations of Valley Parade were completed and on the 14th of December 1986, 
582 days since that fatal fire, the first game was played there. It was organised at the time by Bradford Chairman Stafford Heginbotham and Vice Chairman Jack Tordoff. They invited an England International Eleven, managed by Bobby Robson, to have the honour of being Bradford's first opponents. Sadly, neither Mr Heginbotham or Mr Tordoff are no longer with us. Reading an article in the Yorkshire Post, it says, This turned out to be the biggest job I had ever done, said Chairman Heginbotham in the immediate aftermath of the city's homecoming win. Bobby Robson told me he would bring the kit, but the release of the England players for the match was down to me. The top football league managers are not the easiest people to get hold of, but when I did, they were extremely cooperative. None of the players is getting a fee, and we are just meeting expenses. And as I like to do, I've managed to get a copy of the programme for the game, costing a pound back in 1986, and a ticket for the match was five pounds. The programme has some words from the chairman, talking of returning home, and manager Trevor Cherry starts his column by saying, Everyone is delighted at coming back to Valley Parade. It's been a horrendous 18 months at the club since the fire disaster. I don't think that people realise all the problems we have faced in this period. And then towards the back, there is a message from England manager Bobby Robson. He talks of exiting the World Cup, but he also says, I would like to take this opportunity to thank Bradford City for inviting myself and the squad today. I'm sure they will prosper in their new stadium, and I wish them every success in the future. The outer pages of the Matchday programme have like an artist's impression of the new stand. And on the inside, the centrefold page has a team photo of the Bradford City team. Of course, 1986 had been a World Cup year. England had been to Mexico and famously dumped out by the brilliance and sheer nerve of Argentina's Diego Maradona. They'd played three matches since then, away to Sweden in a friendly, losing 1-0, then beating both Northern Ireland and Yugoslavia in Euro 88 qualifiers. The game was played on a Sunday, and many of the England team that played had been in action the previous day. Of course, managed by England manager Bobby Robson, the team that played was Peter Shilton, he was captain of Southampton, Ian Snowden of Leeds United, he hadn't actually won a senior cap, um, and he was replaced by Trevor Cherry in the second half, who was actually the Bradford manager at the time. Steve Hodge, now he was the only player to have played in the last England game, that one versus Yugoslavia in November, and he was just about to leave Aston Villa for Tottenham, in an acrimonious transfer. Peter Reid of Everton. Derek Mountfield of Everton, one that had never won a senior cap. Alvin Martin of West Ham. He was replaced by Terry Fenwick at half-time of Queen's Park Rangers. Kevin Keegan, who had come out of retirement to play. He was actually living in Spain at the time. When Bobby Robson took over England in 1982, one of his first major decisions was to drop Kevin Keegan. Keegan never played under Bobby Robson in a proper senior England game. This, however, is when Keegan did play under Bobby Robson. 
Neil Webb of Nottingham Forest. Cyril Regis of Coventry City. He was replaced by Frank Worthington in the second half of Tranmere Rovers. Tony Cotty uh, of West Ham. He was actually an unused sub in that game against Yugoslavia. He would be replaced by Portsmouth's Paul Mariner in the second half. And Franz Carr of Nottingham Forest. He, as well, hadn't won a senior cap. Now, talking of Kevin Keegan, the Bradford chairman, Mr Heginbotham, he was in charge of organising Keegan as being part of the game. As I say, he was living in Spain at the time. And the Football Pink website writes that Higginbotham arranged for Keegan to participate, surprising people with a big name. And it was he himself who arranged for Keegan to fly to Manchester from Spain. And he personally collected him and took him to the ground in time for the two o'clock kickoff. The rebuilt Valley Parade was open at a cost of 2.6 million. A new cop stand that could accommodate 7,000 spectators and a new main stand was unveiled, one that would hold 5,000. Kick-off at two. England wore their white V-neck Umbro shirts with navy blue shorts and white socks and the attendance that day was 15,500. And I have to admit my knowledge on Bradford City and their players over the years isn't particularly good. But the team does have some names that I do recognise. There was the goalkeeper, Peter Litchfield, Dave Evans, Trevor Cherry, yes, former England international, and yes, he played for both sides, Stuart McCall, Peter Jackson, Gavin Oliver, John Hendry, Lee Palin, Bobby Campbell, Don Goodman, Greg Abbott, and the substitutes that also played were Chris Wythe, Tony Clegg, Terry Yoroth, Mark Leonard, Ian Ormondroyd, and Mark Ellis. I say I mentioned Trevor Cherry. He played for both sides during the game. He was actually player manager of Bradford at the time. He would play the first 14 minutes of the game in the first half for the Bantams, then the last 10 for England. And as an England international, he won 27 caps between 1976 and 1980, all whilst he was playing for Leeds United. He actually captained England on one occasion too. Sadly, shortly after the England game, he was to lose his job as manager. And the other name that immediately stands out is that of Stuart McCall. He was captain on the day for Bradford, formerly of Everton and Rangers too. But he was also part of the Scotland team that lost to England in Euro 96. And he, recently, was in his third spell as manager of Bradford. With regards to the match, the score was 2-1 to Bradford. And reading an article from the Football Pink website, Don Goodman gave City the lead and the Bantams created so much pressure that Keegan twice had to kick the ball off the line to prevent them from increasing their lead. Paul Mariner equalised in the 79th minute before Mark Leonard scored the winner with a shot from the edge of the box two minutes from the end. They'd played soccer here at Valley Parade for almost a century before the disaster which claimed 56 lives. 
Today, many of the fans who'd seen friends and family killed or injured took their places in the new two-and-a-half million pound stand to remember. Among the guests are Oliver Popplewell, whose inquiry into the disaster led to stringent safety restrictions here and at grounds nationwide. Despite the memories, for many victims, this was a day they'd long looked forward to. All in there badly injured after the first, you know, the first week. And we all said, when there's all the talk of going elsewhere, we must go back to Valley Parade, and we're happy to die. Fittingly, their return brought a 2-1 victory for Bradford City in the closing minute of the game. But it won't mean an end to their problems. The club may still face a massive compensation claim from fire victims. But today, at least, those problems were forgotten. Robert Hall, ITN, at Valley Parade. That's my pleasure to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Bradford City fan, Philip Eidson, who was at the game all those years ago. Philip, you're right. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me on the show, Russell. It's a pleasure to be here. No, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much. You're, you're actually over in the States, though, aren't you? I am. Yes, I live. Uh, I've been in the States 17 years, I think it is now, living in Orlando. That hasn't stopped me from you know, keeping in touch with all things Bradford City and all things football. I probably watch more Bradford City now over uh, the internet than I had the chance to when I was in England. So uh, uh, definitely stay in touch. It's, it's amazing what the uh, what the internet is capable of these days. We're talking Bradford City versus England back in 1986. When I, uh, when I was doing the research or, or when I initially found out about it, I was like, ow, did this game really take place? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I delved into it, looked into it, and then found out the reasons behind it. Uh, now, I've obviously covered the game versus Lincoln, but mm-hmm. but you were there for that game. Just Just maybe just tell us what it was like. Yeah, yes, I, I was at, at that game, and it was only the third game that I ever went to, the third Bradford City game. So I was pretty young, you know, I was a seven-year-old, um, and I think being young was probably a benefit in that, um, you know, I don't remember every single aspect of that day vividly, but I remember certain elements of it. You know, we sat in the main stand that um, caught fire, and actually that stand was, you know, there was seating at the back, and then there was standing at the front, yeah. and we were seated in the back. You know, and and I think what happened, a lot of the folks, unfortunately, passed away, went, tried to go out the back of the ground and all the fire exits were locked. Um, You know, my family made the decision that we were going to go forward onto the pitch, which is probably a life-saving decision, to be honest. Um, And I remember, you know, getting help from some some elderly gentleman who lifted me. It was like it was a big drop to get uh, between stands and onto the pitch. So he lifted me. I think he lifted me onto the pitch. And then I couldn't find my family for what was probably like two seconds, what felt like an eternity. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and found them all. And, you know, I remember running across the pitch and I remember um, I was trying to find a phone box outside, you know, to ring folks back at home, you know, in the family to tell them that we'd got out. Okay. The rest of the memories are, are to be honest, kind of put together by watching, you know, footage and reading and seeing other people's experiences. But, um, you know, I think that that, that occasion really strengthened the bond between football club and supporters um, more than you would get from your typical club. I see. 
Yeah, I mean some of the some of the images that I've seen and and footages of it, it's yeah, oh, unfortunate, horrendous event that took place, and, and sadly is a is a mark on on English football sort of over the years. Yeah, so it's so unfortunate. Yes, yeah. I mean we we think about kind of the legacy, at least that there's you know it, it brought changes, you know. Um, in the way that stadiums were built and the protections that were put in and smoking in grounds and all those things that, you know, were the causes. So there were definitely positives for the English game, I think, that that would come out of that. Um, but obviously it was a, a horrific day and, you know, one the club still quite rightly remembers, you know, always a part of our history. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on 18 months, which mm. is quite an incredible feat, to to regrow that ground to build the new stand came with it this game against England yeah um, which as I say when when I read about it I was like did it really happen what's all this about I mean, did you know about this game coming up yeah I think that you know when they rebuilt they basically rebuilt half of the stadium and they did it in really quick time so I think it only took them six or seven months to actually build. Once they'd raised the money, they raised about 3.6 million pounds to rebuild the ground. Um, and the new stands went up really quickly, you know, and they were looking for ways to obviously mark the reopening of the ground. And it was one of those things like there's a celebration of returning to our home. Cause there was a lot of talk about, do we move out? Do we go to Odsall stadium, which is, um, you know, another stadium in the city of Bradford that the council had bought and had invested some money in, um, and I think where the council wanted us to go, but as you can imagine, there was a lot of uh, pushback and, you know, everybody really wanted to be back at Valley Parade in, in memory of everybody who'd lost their lives. And so um, we raised the money, we built the ground pretty quickly, yep, and looked for a way to open it up. And, and from what I understand, it was, you know, our chairman had, had made an approach to Bobby Robson, you know, and Bobby Robson had basically said, I, I can bring the kit, but you got to find me some players, you know, and, and, and negotiate the release of the players with their clubs to see if they will come down and play. And so that's how it, we started to put it together. So it was Bradford that went on the hunt for the England players then, was it, or players to represent England? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, obviously you knew who the England team and the England squad was at that time, but uh, Bobby Robson had said, you know, there's, there's often challenges in getting their clubs teams to uh, release them. You know, and this game from memory, I think it was on a Sunday. Yeah. And and these players had all played for their clubs on Saturday. So we were asking clubs to release their players to play another game of football 24 hours after they'd already played. And so Bobby Robson was like, I can't do that for you, but I'll turn up, you know, if you can yeah. do that. So the chairman at the time, Stafford Higginbottom, went on a, you know, basically went to approach all the different clubs who had England players playing for them to negotiate the release of the players so they would come and represent England down at the game. And, and from what I understand in the reading that I've done since, it wasn't necessarily a fraught conversation with most of them. You know, I think that the football world wanted to do whatever it could to support Bradford City at that time. Um, but it was on Bradford City to secure those players to play. Yeah. Now, a ticket for the match was apparently £5. Do you- right. Do you remember sort of how, how did you go about getting a ticket? Yeah, to be honest, I don't remember because it would, you know, my, my mum will have bought the tickets for me. Um, you know, we went as a family. So, um, you know, all of us that were at the fire, you know, went back to the game. Now, what I do remember is 
you know, because of the experience of the fire, we wanted to get seats that were really close to the front. Yeah. Um, so that there was an easy exit onto the pitch. And, you know, you, you kind of have that from a lot of fans that were there on the day of if this happens again, how do I get out? You know, I want to be close to the pitch. So we got some tickets that I seem to remember were close to the pitch because we ended up using those as our season tickets for the next 16 years. So how they got them, I don't know. I'm sure there was a lot of demand. Um, you know, it was a full stadium, but we were able to get them. And then, like I say, kept those tickets for, for a long, long time thereafter. Yeah. The game, I've seen pictures of the, the game there and it's a full stadium. People wanted to be to be part of it. Do you think there was anyone who was maybe a little sceptical about going back, obviously, with, with memories of the, the fire? Oh, yeah. I would imagine. I mean, even today, you know, there'll be people that went to the fire that never stepped foot in a football ground again because of the memories. You know, I know that, um, you know, I know folks who today are still, you know, afraid of being, um, you know, in the middle of a crowd high up in a stand yeah. because it's, um, you know, if something was to happen, how do I get out? Um, so there's, there was certainly a lot of, um, you know, a lot of difficulties for folks who were there that day. So, so you will have had folks that didn't want to, I'm sure there were a lot of people that were kind of scared to go, but knew that they wanted to be there. It was like, you know, you kind of overcame the fear by going, if that makes sense, because we'd been traveling, you know, our home games in the interim period, the 18 months between the fire and the reopening of Valley Parade, we'd been playing at at Oddsall, which is in Bradford, we'd been playing at Leeds Road, which was Huddersfield's old ground. We'd been playing at Elland Road, you know, uh, Leeds's ground. So we'd been nomads for 18 months. Um, and, you know, a lot of fans didn't follow us on that journey. So there was this kind of sense of homecoming. Yeah. The game ended in a, uh, in a great result for Bradford City, mm-hmm. beating England. Um, Bradford were, they were a second division team at the time. Yeah, so in '86 will have been uh, the old second division. Yeah, um, you know the day of the fire, we got promoted uh, from the the old third division to the old second division for the first time in something like 76 years. So you know we'd historically been a division four and sometimes a division three team. So um, just to be in division two was a big thing for us. So yeah, we survived the year that we played without having any home games. You know, which was the first year after we got promoted. Um, so we, yeah, we were still in in Division Two as it was when we played England. Yeah. So to see the the likes of Peter Shilton was mm-hmm. there for England. Steve Hodge, Neil Webb was at Nottingham Forest at the time. Tony Cotty, Kevin Keegan as well. Yes. These, these were these were big players coming to the Valley Pride. Yeah. yeah, and and Kevin Keegan I think came out of retirement to come and play the game. You know, he was like the big star of the game, and um, I think he he hadn't played for England for a few years and he just kind of retired from club football, but he came out to represent, you know, to, to put on an England shirt one last time, so to speak, to play at the game. So, you know, it was a big, you know, you're there thinking, I can't believe that we're watching Bradford City play England. Um, because even though it was, we were a division two team at that point, I think, you know, in everyone's mind, we're still a, a third or a fourth division team. So you never really thought that you'd get to see players of that quality playing at Valley Parade. Yeah. There's the the connection between Bradford and England it was the uh, the fact that the Bradford City manager mm-hmm. at the time Trevor Cherry he played for both sides he did yeah he'd um, you know he had a a rough run as Bradford manager he came in we went bankrupt as soon as he came in in '83 and then we had the fire um, 
So yeah, he'd been manager for I think three or four years and he did play for both sides on the day. I think he played the first quarter of an hour for uh, for City and then um, he came on for the last 10 minutes for England. Oh, it's great when, when sort of football is like that. that it's, <laughs> it's just little twists that that you can sort of smile at really. Was it looked at as like a, a friendly or or was did you think, oh, it'd be good to win this and could could we win this win this? I, you know, I think there's a, a a little part of you that goes into every game thinking it would be great to win this. You know, even though it's you're really going in with the mindset of a big testimonial. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, an exhibition game. But uh, even, you know, today, you know, you play a friendly against Liverpool, which we did a couple of years ago at Valley Parade, and and you're still thinking, you know. I don't want to get embarrassed here. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is we, we just don't want to get stuffed and anything better than getting stuffed, you know, that, that would just put a, a little bit of a mark on the day, you know, uh, anything other than that, so, you know, maybe they can go easy on us and that would be, uh, that would be great. And I, I'm sure they went easy on us, you know, which led to us winning with a late goal 2-1. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, you certainly didn't get stuffed. It was John Goodman gave City the lead. Um and I mean, reading as well about the fire, Don Goodman, by all accounts, his his girlfriend passed away yeah. in it. That's right. You know, he's um, you know always had a very close bond as well with the club since then. As a result, but um, you know, because the the day of the fire was such a celebration, you know, it was winning a trophy for the first time in seventy odd years. So you had all the the players, families, and you know, girlfriends and everything were there to celebrate and. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, Don Goodman's, uh, I'm not sure if it was girlfriend or fiance passed away. Um, Stuart McCall, you know, who is a Bradford legend, his, his father got hurt, um, and was in the hospital afterwards with burns. So yeah, the players were definitely affected, you know, as well as the supporters personally, as well as of course, mentally, you know, seeing yes. this and, uh, and everything that they, that they went through on the day too. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of mixed emotions on the day of the game. But as I say, Don Goodman gave City the lead. Mm. Paul Mariner equalised late on before Mark Leonard scored the winner. Uh, Somebody we used to nickname Zico. Um, (laughs) He was so slow, like one of the slowest forwards you could ever see. But um, yeah, he popped up, I think. Um, Maybe that was a little bit of, um, you know, them saying, here you go. Well, we're not going to try too hard in the last 10 minutes but he got a late winner for us. So I think everybody went home happy. And so following the, the game, how, how did the the season then pan out for Bradford? Um, you know, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, um, you know, at that point, because we not had a ground and because we'd been promoted anything, you know, surviving was, was the goal. Yeah. Um, now we survived, but I can't tell you exactly how well, because my memory just doesn't serve me very well to think how the season ended. But that would have been the... Um, 86, 87 season, you know, the season afterwards, 87, 88 is when we, we had a push for promotion to the old first division. So, and we just lost out on the playoffs. We, to this day, we call it our nearly season. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's certainly the feel good factor of being good, you know, created this momentum that we took um, in over the course of the next 18 months, which nearly took us to the first division. Like, uh, you know, a, a late goal on the last day of the season that took us from automatic promotion to the playoffs and then losing in the playoffs. It, it was that close to us nearly making the first division. Oh, nail-biting. Although you would make the, the Premier League or the Premiership, whatever it was called, yes. at, at one point. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I mean, 1999, 
which was, you know, one of those dreams you never think as a Brad, you, you, as growing up as a Bradford fan, you think one day maybe we'll play in the Premier League. Um, and you think, you know what, that's not really going to happen. And of course it did. And we had two years there. And, you know, probably getting there was better than being there. Right. Um, yeah. Being there, you know, everybody wrote us off on day one. And uh, so there was a, a big, you know, it's the world against us. And we played really well into that with a lot of players who were probably not Premier League players, but were playing above themselves. Um, and we stayed up with a, a win at, uh, against Liverpool at home on the last day of the season, which was just amazing. Like one of the, the high points of being a Bradford City supporter. And then we got ideas bigger than our station and started signing all these you know, extravagant players on big wages we couldn't afford. Uh, and that really set us, unfortunately, on a downward trajectory that has now lasted 22 years. You know, we, it's, um, we went bankrupt twice in seven years. We had to sell the Valley Parade um, to survive. And, you know, we're probably still impacted by some of those decisions today. Yeah. Well, they sound like hard truths uh, they do <laughs> which Indeed. which uh, brings us nicely to to round up this chat you you do in fact have your own podcast yes uh, in the i have a couple but one is in the business space which everybody will be too i think uh, wouldn't want to hear about but i also have one in the football space called mm. the hard truth yeah um and it's a podcast that i co-host with dara mcanthony dara is the uh, the co-owner and chairman of peterborough united and we do a, a mostly weekly podcast that really charts a few things. One is the emotional ups and downs of being a, an owner of a football club and everything that's kind of vested in being an owner and seeing your team get promoted and battle against relegation, um, you know, and how they feel it probably 10 times what us fans feel it because of everything that's, that's, that's invested in it and that's in the line, uh, that's on the line. So we do talk about that a lot. Um, we talk about kind of behind the scenes, what goes on behind closed doors in football, you know, uh, with agent talk or player talk or, uh, you know, what's going on with managers and, uh, you know, a, a chairman's perspective and an owner's perspective on the issues of the day that are happening. So we really cover a ton of topics. We talk a lot about Peterborough, as you would imagine. We talk a, a fair bit about Bradford again, as you would imagine, but um, we cover a lot of just general football topics from, a, from an owner perspective. And it's great fun. I get to ask a lot of questions that I never thought I'd get to ask of a football club owner. How how did that come about, being able to to speak with him? Is he someone you know? Yeah, so, um, you know, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I've been podcasting for probably seven or eight years, but on the business side of things. And I know that he lives close to me, or I knew that he lived close to me here in Central Florida, in Orlando. And I just happened to listen to one of his podcasts. He, he started to do a podcast um, during the, um, the pandemic, you know, as right. football closed down. Um, and I listened to it and I just thought, you know, this is a really interesting podcast and maybe I can help just bring a second voice to it. And so I reached out and, uh, you know, it turns out he's five minutes down the road from me. Um, and so we just kind of met up, had a chat and decided, let's try this. Um, and that was probably almost two years ago. Yeah. And now, you know, we do it every week and, um, you know, he's become a good friend and it's just, it's, it's more like, uh, you know, two, two football fans chatting, one who happens to be the owner of a football club. That's great. Um, I mean, the, the cl- yeah, the clips I've seen on your, uh, on the, on the Twitter feed, he's, he's very, uh, very outspoken, but it's, I guess that's how it is. And, and he tells it how it is. Yeah. And you think that that's, you know, people will look at him probably with either a love hate relationship of, because he's, um, you know, he shares what he's thinking, 
But a lot of fans of clubs that don't have a chairman like that will say that they they crave that transparency. So, you know, you may not like some of the things that he says, but he says things as they are. And so, the you know, fans of the club can never be, um, you know, unsure of what's going on. Whereas yeah. a lot of us, you know, support teams where everything happens, you know, behind the closed doors, inside this black box, and we have no clue what's really going on. So um, at heart, he's, he's, you know, just a football supporter like you and I, who just loves talking about football. Yeah. So where, where can we find the, the Hard Truth podcast? Yeah, um, you can actually go anywhere that you get your podcasts. You know, you can just search for Hard Truth inside the football industry. Um, or we have a website as well, which is hardtruthfootball.com. Nice one. Philip, thank you very much for, for taking the time just to, uh, to go back to, to 1986 and, and not, not just the fire, but also the, uh, mm-hmm. the England game. It's, it's been a great little insight into that period of time. Um, I mean, if anyone wants to, to follow yourself on Twitter, are you open to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm at P. Eidson, P-I-D-E-S-O-N on Twitter, and I'll be mostly grumbling about Bradford City defeats on there, I think. <laughs> Well, I will. I'll link to that on the uh, on the Three Lions podcast. Philip, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Russell. Bradford City's story is that with many ups and downs, triumphs and tragedy. Whilst I was fully aware of the fire and the events of the 11th of May 1985, I wasn't aware of the related England match. I only found out about it when doing the research for the Bobby Robson episode in our England Managers series. I was reading Ian Hartrick's Bobby Robson's Silver Lining book and there was a little passage mentioned about it. And that was where my curiosity stemmed from. If you weren't aware of the Bradford fire, please go and just do a little bit of research on it. It's something that is remembered every year by the Bradford community and also the wider English football community. Spare a thought for those that passed and their respective families. My many thanks go to Philip Iderson for his time there in taking us back to that period of his life. I'd also like to say thanks to Chris Rhodes for pointing me in his direction. My name is Russell Osborne and this has been the Three Lions podcast. It's an independent England football supporters podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Plenty more episodes can be found at your podcast provider of choice. Please go take a listen or you can follow the show on all the usual social media channels. I'll be back with another episode very soon. Hit that subscribe button and you won't miss it. So until then, take care. Cheers.